events coming up. Um, it's a new year, and so we're really getting excited about a couple different things. Number one, first of all, connect groups are going to restart on Sunday. So middle school in here at 5 to 6.30, high school at our house 5 to 7. Everything like we were doing in the fall is the same. So come on out to a connect group on Sunday night. Um, the other thing is uh, Fuge. Um, I know it's January and we're talking July, but let's start talking about it because we're going to get a registration open later this month. And so we want to make sure that if you want to go to Fuge, you get a spot and come to camp with us. We're going July 10th through the 14th. We're going to Milligan. Uh, Snipe Dog will be our camp pastor again this year, Lord willing. And so that's going to be really exciting. So registration's coming in a couple of weeks for that. But I just want to continue reminding you about Fuge. Lastly, the other big event that we have coming up for this month, our monthly Reach Night activity this month is actually going to be on a Sunday, January 22nd. And maybe if we keep the weather the way it is, although my kids told me they heard thunder today. And you know what that means? That in 10 days it's going to snow. Did you know that they told me that at dinner and I literally broke the rule of our dinner table. I pulled up my app on my Weather Channel app and it literally said 10 days from now it was a snowflake. It said 40%, but it said 10 days from now, one snowflake. So anyway, hopefully the weather on the 22nd is a little warmer, but we're going to have our Capture the Flag event. We're going to go out to the TBCA soccer field, not this little one here, the one that's over on Maston Drive. If you need directions, we'll get you some later on. We're going to have registration online. It's free, but the registration just lets us know you're coming, and we have a waiver just in case you get beheaded by like a low-hanging branch or something. We don't want to be liable for that. Or if you break an ankle. I mean, I did, you know, two ends of the spectrum here, but we just don't want to be held liable. So anyway, um, they're going to have hot dogs and drinks and things. Invite a friend. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about um, just inviting friends and things like that. But that's coming up on January 22nd, and the registration for that should be up on by Friday of this week. So it's going to be really good. All right, so we're going to get back into First John, the sermon series we've been in uh, this school year. Um, excited to jump back into it. And we are going to be talking about one thing. I know a lot of people have New Year's resolutions. I don't know if you made some or anything. But one thing that I think if you didn't really think of what could be a focus for you this year and you didn't ask maybe the, the deeper spiritual question of what does the Lord maybe want for me to focus on this year, I have an idea for you straight from his word. It's to love other people, to love your neighbor as yourself, as Jesus has said, as scripture tells us. To treat others with kindness and love and respect. And, and one of the things that I really want you guys to think about is who is that person in your life that does not attend a church? You know, don't try and steal them from another church. But, but who is that person in your life that you know that doesn't attend a church or maybe hasn't been to church in a while, doesn't have a relationship with the Lord, that you could pray for, that you could love, and that maybe you could bring to one of our events? We don't do these events so that we can just have, I mean, we do them so you can have fun. But we also want you to have this, the other side of the meaning of we're giving you an opportunity to bring somebody to an event at church that they normally wouldn't come to. So it's giving you the opportunity, the resources to invite somebody to church with you. You want to treat other people with respect and be a good neighbor. As somebody once asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? You don't want to be like this neighbor, though. I read a story of a couple years ago. There was a woman in Florida who thought that her other neighbor was up to some not-so-good activities. She even accused them of breaking into her car and stealing things out of her car. The other neighbor didn't even know that this neighbor thought badly about her. They thought that everything was good. They thought they had a great relationship until one day they came home and found their house was destroyed. 
What I mean by destroyed is literally wiped off of the face of the earth. Like bulldozer came through her house and plowed the house down to the studs. How does this happen? Well, one neighbor, the neighbor who was uh, thinking that the other one had stolen her things, had a key to her house. Again, they must have had some type of relationship because unless she like illegally copied it, they had some type of relationship. So she had a key to the house. And she called up her friend who had construction equipment and said, hey, this house needs to be torn down. It's no longer lived in. It's been vacated. So the company shows up, and they don't think anything of it because the one neighbor shows a key, opens the house, and even moved things in the house away from the windows so that when the company looked in with their bulldozer and saw nothing near, they thought, oh, yeah, it's empty. So they plowed the house down thinking, this is this woman's house. They mo- it's empty, and she's clearly it's her house. She opened the door. So they wiped it off the face of the earth with the bulldozer. Only for the woman who actually owns that house to be driving home as she sees the bulldozer leaving. Calls the cops and says, my house is gone. You imagine that 911 call? Where did it go? I don't know. It's gone. We found out that uh, Miss Fulch of St. Augustine, Florida, was later jailed. She got out on $10,000 bail. And she was um, charged with criminal mischief, which is a third-degree felony. But I think it's really interesting that the one lady whose house got torn down thought that everything was okay. Until it wasn't, and her house was gone. You don't want to be like that person. You think about how much anger and hatred do you have to have towards somebody to, like, call up your friend and get a bulldozer to literally, like, take out their house. How much anger do you have to have? Like, you've probably been angry at people before, but have you literally ever wiped their face, like, their stuff off the face of the earth? I don't think so. That's not what we want to do. We want to love others. And that's what John is talking about in John chapter 3. We're going to actually, in the rest of the chapter, there's three parts to it. We're going to go to the first part tonight. And, and really, there's three parts to it that help us to understand what we are supposed to do and how we are supposed to love others. And there's some practical things in that. But let's read just a couple of the verses from John chapter, 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 15. And they'll be on the screen as well, in case you don't have your Bible with you. But here's what it says. This is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not, abide, whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So in this first section of, of this part of the chapter, this is what we're getting, is the direction. Okay, the direction we are to go is told at the outset of this passage. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. This is what you are to do. Like I said, if you don't have a New Year's resolution or thought, what does God want of me this year? Here's a great place to start. You've heard this from the beginning. We should love one another. Okay, so that's the outset, that's the thesis, that's the overall topic that we're going to talk about over the next three weeks, that we should love one another. This week, the specific focus, he brings up Cain, and we're going to spend some time in Genesis tonight to kind of go through the story of Cain and Abel. But really what this is, is one way that you should show love to other people is, not, is by not making other people feel less or less than they are. 
Don't make other people feel like they are less than what God has made them to be. Don't take away from the good things that are in their life. Don't, don't ridicule and minimize them. Next week, we'll get into this part, but to give to one another like Christ gave to us. So, so to love other people means to give. You need to give of yourself, give of your time, give grace towards them. You need to be a giver in your relationship towards other people if you're going to love others. And finally, in a couple weeks, we'll get to this one, but we have to be patient with one another. So, so really, this is the way that you can love other people, by, by not minimizing them or making them feel like less than they are, by actually building them up, by giving to them, and by being patient with them. So this week, John uses this example of Cain. I, I've been fascinated by this. I've been studying this this week with Cain and Abel and what it's like, this story. Because there's so many things that you've learned about Cain and Abel probably before in Sunday school classes or in Kid Street if you grew up here or whatever. But, but Cain and Abel, there's, there's some depth to this story that really fascinates me. Listen again to what John says. We don't want to be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So, so I'm going to take you to Genesis chapter 4 really quickly. You don't have to turn there unless you want to go flip towards the front of your Bible. We have it on the screen. But here's the, here's the story of Cain and Abel. Because if John references it, we should probably look deeper into it. So here's what it says. Genesis 4 verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she bore a son, Cain, saying... I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was angry and his face fell. John tells us, don't be like Cain. He's the anti-hero. He is the anti-example. He is the opposite of what you want to be when you love other people. But here's some fascinating things that you may not know about Cain. His name meant gotten. You can get that from the very first couple verses in Genesis chapter 4. Because Eve says that. I will name him this. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, why would she name him Gotten? Here's the reason why. Sometimes it's easy for us because we have the benefit of knowing the Bible cover to cover. But you have to place yourself in the moment for a second. Think about Eve. She was in the Garden of Eden, right? She gets kicked out of the Garden of Eden because she fell into sin. Then she has this meeting before God with Adam next to her and the serpent is also present. And Adam gets some things said to him, and Eve gets some things said to him, and the serpent gets some things said to him by God. Now, one of the things that is said in there is that the serpent is promised, Satan is promised, that he will be crushed. Who's he going to be crushed by, though? The seed of the woman. Now, Eve has to know, this is, may seem like common sense, but again, put yourself in this situation. Eve has to know that's her. Her offspring, somebody that she's going to bring forth, specifically a man, because it says, you will strike his heel, serpent, but he will crush your head. So obviously it's a male son that she's going to have. And there's no other woman in the garden at this time. So clearly it's going to come from Eve. Okay, so that's in her mind. She bears a son. She's thinking, 
this is the one that's going to crush the snake. See, see, we think of, oh man, no, 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 there's so much more that's going to come. Time is going to pass on. But for these people, for Adam and Eve, think about it. They were expelled from the Garden of Eden. They must have thought, surely, it's going to come to a swift end. They're not thinking thousands of years from now, there's going to be people on other continents that are going to still be living and we're going to be long gone. They're thinking somebody that is going to come forth from us is going to kill that serpent and set it all right. And that's what Eve thinks Cain is. He is the gotten one. I have gotten this man. Now, Abel, his name meant breath or wind. You don't get that from the Bible, though. You actually, if you dig deeper and you read in the Hebrew and you understand his name and then you go find it in other places, because the word that is used for Abel is also used in other places. Isn't it interesting that Abel is not given the explanation of his name by his own mom? She just gives him this name breath or wind the idea is also the same word that solomon uses in ecclesiastes which is vanity or chasing after the wind the idea is that abel is insignificant why would that be because cain is the one that was gotten he's the one the firstborn he's the one that's going to crush the snake then abel comes along and he's just kind of an afterthought in his mom's mind He's really not given, we don't know much about Abel at all, other than he was a keeper of sheep. That's all we get. And his name literally means vain, wind, short-lived, insignificant, breath. Like his life was very short. It's a breath, and it's gone. So both of them bring an offering of praise to God. Cain gives something, Abel gives something. Now, there's a lot of confusion about this. Not confusion, but there's a lot of debate about this. And I I used to think one way, and I I really think after studying this more, here's what I understand. This was not a sacrifice for sin. They were bringing sacrifice to God as an offering of praise or thanksgiving or gratitude. Okay? So, So they're both bringing this. And it's not because Cain brought fruits of the ground. Because actually, later on, God accepts that as a gratitude offering from the Israelites. So it's not that he didn't bring something with blood and Abel did. That's not it. The key of it is, is what you see in here is that there is a heart condition in their giving. Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. That's the, the, the portion of the animal that would have most value, that could have fetched most price. That is, that is the portion of the animal that was the most desirable. So we get an extension and we get more explanation about what Abel brought than even Abel himself. We understand that he brought the firstborn of the flock, which is usually the male, that would also allow you to continue having other animals that could keep your industry and your money going. And yet he gave that and the best portions of that animal. What did Cain bring? Well, it just says he brought the fruit of the ground doesn't even say the first fruit of the ground, which would be like the choicest or the best of the ground. He just brought some of the fruit of the ground. This, this is the hint that the Bible is trying to give you is that there's a difference between these two guys. Abel brings it out of genuine love for God. He understands who God is and he brings him the best because he knows that God deserves the best and he sacrifices. He gives that to almost so it could actually hurt, but he gives towards God and Abel does that out of love, whereas Cain, he just gives because he has to. So so this is just the point I want to make for for you. Do you surrender? Do you give? Do you follow God just because you have to? 
or do you give and follow God because you love God? That's the difference between these two guys and their heart condition. And you'll see that their heart really informs how they treat one another. Do you give out of requirement or out of love? So in verse 6 and 7 in Genesis 4 continues, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. See, God says, I see that you're angry. Cain, why are you angry? And I think Cain's angry at both God and at Abel. He's angry that God didn't accept what he gave to him. Because he thinks he gave enough. In his mind, he's like, I gave you what you need. So he's a little bitter towards God about that. He's also bitter that Abel got recognized higher than him. Because you got to understand, I think that Cain, as the firstborn, as the gotten one, that Eve was thinking, you're the one, son. You're the one that's going to take care of that snake. You're the one that's going to do it. I mean, maybe you've ever been in that situation in your house where you feel like you're kind of like the, the second one or the second child that's always kind of forgotten. And then there's the, the top child who gets all the attention, right, and does all the goody-two-shoe things and all that. Maybe you're one or the other. Maybe you're not. Maybe your parents don't do that. But maybe you feel that way. Yeah, I could see that Cain would feel like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the bee's knees, man. I got it all figured out. I'm the gotten one. Abel, psh, breath, whatever. And then God looks at Abel and says, I'm pleased with you. God looks at Cain and says, I'm not pleased. That's tough. It's a tough pill to swallow for Cain, and he didn't swallow it very well. See, his anger was starting to brew something in him, and anger is a killer. In, in 1 John, he says that if you hate your brother, it's akin to murder. You know that no murderer has entered eternal life. Anger and murder, Jesus talks about that. If you harbor anger in your heart, it's like you want to murder them. You want to take away from them. Envy is also a killer and will make you a killer. And hatred is the desire to deprive somebody else of life or even deprive them of good things. That's what it means to hate somebody. You just want to do things or not do things that make sure that they don't enjoy life. That's active or passive. You can do it in both ways. But he, here's the problem, and this is what John is getting at, that in our ability to love other people, we have to kill our envy. We have to stop looking at their lives and wanting what they got or not celebrating when they're celebrate. You know, that's the kind of thing that we don't like to see other people win. We want to win. We don't want to see other people succeed. We, that when we're not succeeding, that there's something in us that, that, that gets, gets after us. And you've got to kill that because if you're not careful, that will turn into anger and hatred towards somebody else. And that is not how you love others. The problem with Cain is that he had broken his vertical relationship to God and that affected his horizontal relationship with his brother. It, he, he just was angry and bitter towards God and so that caused everything else sideways in his life. The people around him, he was bitter towards them. And he was following in the footsteps of what Eve has already done. If you look back at Genesis 3, Eve was envious of God. That's why she took out the fruit. I see that the fruit is good. It tastes good. But I also think that I'm going to get the knowledge that God has. I want the knowledge. I want the wisdom that God has. I'm envious that he's holding back from me. So I want that. So she took out the fruit and ate. Cain was envious of Abel. Envious of his position in God's sight because of what his love for God caused him to do by bringing the best portion. 
the firstborn of his flock. Envy will kill that. Envy will ruin your relationships. Here's where the outcome goes for Cain. Verse 8 in Genesis 4. Cain spoke to his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Here's what you might not get from that translation, and I think other translations may help you understand a little bit better. Cain essentially called Abel out into the field. Like, Cain lured him into the field knowing exactly what he was going to do. Like, that, that's what really is happening here. You might not get that from those, those words, but that's essentially the scene. Cain calls Abel out to the field and then just goes cold blood. He rises up against his brother and kills him. The Lord says to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And here is the line that he is probably most remembered for. I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? You can almost feel like, and I just kind of did it naturally, because when you read that, it's almost like a shrug of the shoulders, like, I don't know. Is it my responsibility to know where little Abel is all the time? Why do I have to care about my brother? You're God. I mean, aren't aren't you in charge? He's your buddy. You like his sacrifices more than mine anyway. That's kind of the mentality you get. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And I I love, I put this quote at the bottom of it from this commentator named John Walton. He says, Cain's problem is that he refused to accept responsibility. And sometimes we do that too. But when we refuse to accept responsibility, we have paved the way for refusing to accept blame. And accountability then disintegrates after that. You can't be held accountable because you don't have any responsibility. You're not responsible for your actions or the actions of other people. And, and this is the problem that Cain had. He, he had envy and hatred in his heart that he didn't deal with. He didn't kill it. And it led him to act harshly towards his brother and murder him. He didn't have a correct vertical relationship with God. And so that disrupted and distorted all his horizontal relationships, even with his own brother. And he didn't take responsibility for his actions. And he didn't want to have accountability for it. So, so here's, here's just our takeaway for this evening as we wrap up. How we can love other people, and we don't want to envy, we don't want to be like Cain, the anti-hero, the anti-example in this case. We have to make sure our horizontal relationships are influenced by our vertical. You've got to get your relationship with the Lord right first before you can start to see everything else on this side of things working out. So the vertical relationship, get that straight before you can start straightening out the horizontal stuff. If there's things in your life that you've been holding on to, sinful things that you haven't confessed to the Lord or other things in your life that you are guilty of that you're trying to hide from the Lord, those are the types of things that you need to confess. Because one thing in this story that blows my mind is that despite the fact that Cain was going to kill Abel, there were moments and opportunities where God in his grace was trying to bring him back from the brink of destruction, from doing the unthinkable. He warned him. He said, don't don't harbor that anger. Sin is crouching at your door, ready to destroy you. If you do well, if you'll get yourself right with me, if you'll love me, if you'll come to me, bring your burdens to me. If you'll do that, then you'll do well. Cain didn't heed that instruction. God gives you the opportunity to repent and turn away from those things and fix the vertical. He gives you that. So get that right first and then allow what God does in your life to fix the horizontal. 
Secondly, a true friend has to accept responsibility for another person's well-being. This is the, the am I my brother's keeper line, I think plays out the most in our lives now in this way. There are things that you may do in your life that you do not have a conviction about in your conscience, okay? And, that, and that, these are not like, there's, there's clear sins in the Bible, right? I'm not talking about the clear sins in the Bible. I'm talking about like the gray areas that some people have an opinion on and some people have a different opinion on, right? Probably the easiest way is like what movies you watch and what music you listen to, okay? I'm just going to pick on those because that's easy, right? Your family may have a certain type of movie that they will not watch, for better or for worse, and they have their reasons and their wisdom, they choose not to. And your family may say, hey, we, we think it's okay. We can talk about that. We can listen to that music or watch that movie. And you've got two differences of opinion. Here's the idea, though. You are your brother's keeper. And that goes for people on both sides of the, that issue. You don't want to flaunt the fact that you watch this movie and maybe even display it when other people are around just because you are in your freedom can do that. And you who don't take in that, that media don't need to go and look down upon that other person and make them feel less than they are. You're not keeping them well either. It goes both directions on the person who decides to watch or listen to something and this person who doesn't. We need to love each other well in that way because we are each other's keepers as believers in Christ. So that's important to get right. You are your brother's keeper. You have to take a little bit of responsibility for another person's well-being because you care for them and you love them. And then the last thing I want to leave you with is that Jesus is a true friend and Jesus is a better brother. If you're having a hard time loving other people because you have not experienced true friendship first, you don't know how to be a friend. You don't know how to love people. Here's the good news. Jesus can be a true friend and the lover of your soul to teach you how to be a friend and to love others well. Scripture in Hebrews, it, it calls Jesus as a brother to us. He calls us his brothers, girls, sisters, in front of God, and he's not ashamed to call us his brethren. Jesus is not ashamed of us. But I think this is a great connection to the story of Cain and Abel. Whereas Cain killed his brother, and the ground cried out, it says that in Genesis 4.10, Cain kills Abel and the, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, God says. What is it crying out, you think? Well, it, it's crying out that there has been injustice here. It's calling out for revenge. It's calling out for Cain to answer for his crime. That's what the ground, that's what the blood of Abel in the ground is calling out. And what actually happens is Cain can't work the ground later on. So he has to go into technology and building other things because the ground is essentially against him from that point. He's cursed in that way. The ground calls out against him. He deserves punishment. In the same way, because of our sin, and, and, and the people who were there at the time when Jesus was crucified, they literally killed him. They murdered him. Right? And, and you and I were not there at the time, but our sin is also the reason why he had to go on the cross. So think of it this way. What is the blood of Jesus crying out to God when it's spilled at the cross and falls into the ground? I have it on the screen, but here's, here's what you can get that it's saying. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So whereas Abel's blood spilled by Cain cries out, guilty, punish him, get back at him, revenge. He deserves to be punished for what he's done. When Jesus' blood is spilled for you, 
because of you and because of me. It doesn't say guilty, go get them, punish them for what they have done. They've crucified the Son of God. Instead, the blood cries out and says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If you don't know how to love other people, if you don't know how to be a good friend, start with getting a relationship with Christ and see that he is your true friend and the better brother. Forgiving them. Learn from him and you'll learn how to love others. He'll show you because he'll treat you with the types of things that he wants you to treat others with. So that's the encouragement this week to love one another. Kill that, kill that envy by looking up towards Christ and just remember the difference of the blood that was spilled. One cries out guilty, the other cries out, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for the reminder of who Christ is, the love that he has for us, the grace that he has shown us, and the forgiveness that he offers to us. God, may our hearts seek after him, and in the seeking after you, getting to know you, understanding what you are like, may that teach us and train us on how we are to treat others. May we not look at their lives and envy what they have. May we desire the best for them, not for harm to come towards them. Lord, the test of this is that as we grow closer to you, we want to see other people flourish. We don't want to see them fail. Because you desire for them to have life, life in the full. And if that's your desire for our brothers and our sisters and other people, then may that be the same thing that we desire for them. Because if we're like you, then our desires will match your desires. So God, help us, train us, show us, show each of us through the relationship we have with you personally how to love others well and to be a friend towards others. God, we thank you for this time again, and we just pray that it would encourage, it would motivate, but it would also convict and challenge us to consider how we live our lives in light of who you are. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.